trust in you. Without you, nothing is strong, nothing is holy. (coughs) Embrace us with your mercy, that with you as our ruler and guide, we may live through what is temporary without losing what is eternal. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Maybe see. The Old Testament reading is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 65, verses 17 to 25, read responsibly. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it, or the cry of distress. No more They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord, and their descendants as well. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, 
But the end will not follow immediately. Then Jesus said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famine and plagues. And there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. For I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance... You will gain your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe see. So this morning we're full of prophecy. That's what we've heard from Isaiah. That's what we've heard uh, from the Gospel according to Luke. Portends of things to come. A big word to say all that's going to come along. I want to read Isaiah 65 one more time, this time from the message, because I like the way it sounds from the message. It says, pay close attention now, I'm creating new heavens and a new earth. All the earlier troubles, chaos, and pain are things of the past, to be forgotten. Look ahead with joy. Anticipate what I'm creating. I'll create Jerusalem as sheer joy. Create my people as pure delight. I take joy in Jerusalem. Take delight in my people. No more sounds of weeping in the city. No cries of anguish. No more babies dying in the cradle. Or old people who don't enjoy a full lifetime. One hundredth birthdays will be considered normal. Anything less will seem like a cheat. They'll build houses and move in. They'll plant fields and eat what they grow. No more building a house that some outsider takes over. No more planting fields that some enemy confiscates. For my people will be as long-lived as trees. My chosen ones will have satisfaction in their work. They won't work and have nothing come of it. They won't have children snatched out from under them. For they themselves are plantings blessed by God. With their children and grandchildren, likewise, God blessed. But they call out. Before they call out, I'll answer. Before they finish speaking, I'll have heard. Wolf and lamb will graze the same meadow. Lion and ox eat straw from the same trough. But snakes, they'll get a diet of dirt. Neither animal nor human will hurt or kill anywhere. On my holy mountain, says God. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So these readings, especially this reading from Isaiah, it's all talking about this notion of faith. Getting faith, having faith, getting faith back, doubting faith, losing faith, living faith, strengthening faith, working on deepening faith. 
and what faith is all about. There couldn't be a better text to assist us, all of us, in highlighting the importance of, above all, having faith in God. And making a commitment to God. Because you see, no matter what is going on, good or bad or indifferent, we're talking about the inbreaking of the beloved community of God. We used to always call it the kingdom of God, but the beloved community sounds so much better. The commitment we make to the vision and hope that this beloved community of God, when we dedicate ourselves to the vision expressed in this reading from Isaiah 65, will appear and come. With that in mind, it, is, it's really, it really isn't that difficult then to imagine how things must have felt for the people of Jerusalem around 475 before the Christian era, two generations after they returned from exile and tried to rebuild their devastated holy city of Jerusalem. Some of you might remember the prophet Haggai also talked about in last week's scripture lesson. This group of exiles that returned remembered the former glory of Jerusalem and its temple. And the rebuilt version that didn't quite measure up to the glory of Solomon's temple. So, imagine with me the prophet Isaiah in our lesson this morning walking through the rubble of the city. Much of the city of Jerusalem was still in ruin including homes and markets, and many people continue to suffer the effects of oppression and dislocation, hunger, thirst, illness, and early death. Sorrow and grief, economic injustice, and political turmoil were the realities of that day as Isaiah strolled through the city and recalled and received this prophecy from God. And and clearly are the realities of today for too many in the world, and especially in other parts of the world, and especially others around us, because we seem to be fortunate and be spared some of that. But we need to be aware of it, we need to think about it, we need to pray about it, we need to encounter it, because it's there, it's not going away. My Old Testament professor, Walter Brueggemann, has written elegant and abundant commentary on this Isaiah passage. It's one of his very favorite passages to think about and talk about and write about. One of Brueggemann's gifts is illuminating the text. What do I mean by that? Share it, shining a light on it so that we understand what it meant in its setting when it was written, while also shining a light on how the particular lesson from Isaiah 65 impacts all that we are facing in our own situation today, here, now. We are reminded that we can find the Lord all around us and in different places in the midst of this crazy world. The vision of shalom, of peace, is sometimes best expressed in times very much like our own when resources for faith to endure seem scarce or sometimes seem hard to find at all. And the same vision of shalom, salam, peace that that is found in the voices of Moses and of Jesus, both of them present a notion that a new world is about to emerge. It's about to be given. Our challenge becomes wondering if we can trust ourselves to this emerging new world. Did you hear me? We can trust ourselves to this emerging new world because it's scary. And even more challenging than that, living our lives on Sunday and every day as though we are already in it. This new emerging world, that is. 
That's even harder for some of us who spend too much time griping and complaining about all kinds of things, including this pastor. And then becomes perhaps the most challenging and difficult part of our faith and of being church. You see, if we are who we claim to be, then our commitment to our faith as disciples is much more important than anything else. What do I mean? It's much more important than our dollars and envelopes that go into the offering plate. The the cash reserves Jerusalem Western Salisbury Church is so fortunate to have. Our practice of giving and collecting items to help others. You see, all of that, the responsibilities and obligations entered into by the organization called Jerusalem Western Salisbury Church. It's, It's much more than deciding what needs to be fixed and changed and upgraded in the church building and or even having a church building at all. It is instead all about our commitment to a continuation of our discipleship. And then when we begin to become better disciples, we begin to view the world differently and understand that to be a Christian is to be different than the rest of the secular world. The rest of the secular world we live in, where bigger is better and the one who dies with the most the most important, the most significant, the most historic, at your own most, wins. But do they? What am I talking about? Well, it's all about having hope in this amazing vision of the prophet Isaiah. This incredible vision that has been put in front of us in this passage from Isaiah 65. This amazing view of what the beloved community of God will be like. What the beloved community of God will be like when it comes. And how we can assist in bringing this beloved community to a world which so desperately needs it today. And it's all about commitment to our faith. All about discipleship. A seminary classmate, Reverend Tim Reynolds, who is now a pastor in Knoxville, Tennessee, wrote about discipleship. Listen to the twist Tim puts on this thing called discipleship. You know, being disciples in the tradition of the original 12 and so many that followed them. Listen to what Tim has to say. He says, we come, we can come up with all the programs and flyers and posters and creative sermon series that we like. It still doesn't change this fact. Though the church is called to express different beliefs and convictions from the rest of the culture, in practice, there is little difference at all between the behavior of the church. You know, those of us who are here week after week, and that of the unchurched. All those who never seem to enter the door of any church. Tim continues, listen to this. The the rates of premarital sex and divorce, for example, are almost identical on both sides of the same glass. Some of the church people I know are less patient, less kind, less humble, less compassionate, and less generous than many of us, than many of the unchurched I've run across, Tim says. So, but rather than changing the culture by being an alternative witness, the church are often much better at simply adapting to the culture. Why then 
Tim says, why then would the unchurched want to be a part of that? I mean, from their standpoint, it would be just adding guilt to the life that they are enjoying. Somewhere along the line, we forgot that Jesus never called us to make people churched. Churching people, getting them to serve on committees, cook in the kitchen, come to the fellowship dinners, attend worship, and put money in the plate is not what we're supposed to be about. We are called to make disciples. Followers who live and embody the person and work of Christ. This means challenging them to get out and do the work of the beloved community. We spend all our efforts trying to get people to come to church rather than getting the church to go outside and be with people. Being church in no way guarantees mature discipleship. Look around. In most churches, there's a small but solid core of folks who are committed to Christ and understand the church to be a missional community. And then a whole lot of other people who may be churched but but don't sometimes don't seem to act too much like disciples. Then Tim finishes with this amazing insight. I believe being a disciple of Christ means we are called to unchurch. Now get this part. We are called to unchurch ourselves, moving outside our buildings and institutions to do the much harder work of loving people wherever we find them, rather than categorizing them based on what they do or don't do with their Sunday mornings. Don't get me wrong, I think we ought to invite as many people as possible to be a part of our communities of faith and part of worship and part of the church. The question is whether we're inviting them to become members of an institution or to join us on our communal journey of transformation. Are we inviting them to attend, vote, and give? Or are we inviting them to be part of a movement that has changed and will continue to change the whole world. End quote. So you see, as you think about this church, as you think about this church and everyone associated with it, as you think about the changes that we want or need to make to the physical structure we call Jerusalem Western Salisbury Church, and as you contemplate the entire future of the very same Jerusalem Western Salisbury Church, because sometimes when we look around, we look pretty old, don't we? I want you to think about it. I want you to pray about it. But I also want you to commit and recommit to more than just this church building and our church's programs and our church's tradition and our church's history. I'm calling on you, I'm asking you to commit to a new way of living our lives. It's something we're called to do not just now, not just yesterday, but again and again and again and again by Jesus himself. Commit to this new way of our lives. As Tim says, he said in his writing, we need to, each of us, commit ourselves, quote, to a movement that has changed and will continue to change the world. Do you think we're capable of doing that? I do. This is my hope. This is my wish. And this is my fervent prayer this day and every day. Amen. 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 
join with me in affirming our faith, this time using the words of the Apostles' Creed, a baptismal creed found in your bulletin. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. United with the saints of every time and place, let us pray for the church, those in need, and all of God's creation. Faithful God, when we question the future, you reveal the hope of victory through your Son, Jesus Christ. Give us the wisdom to rely on your words and the courage to witness to your love and faithfulness. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is God, our joy, the seas and the hills shout your praise. Inspire us to sing a joyful song to you as we work to preserve and protect your marvelous creation. Hear us, O God. God, our ruler, you judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. Grant perseverance to world leaders and elected officials so that they never grow weary in doing what is right. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Gracious God, you offer peace to fearful hearts. Heal the hurts of all those who suffer injustice and persecution, those who spend months and years in prisons and in hospitals, and for anyone in need today. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is God, our song. Thank you for worship leaders, artists, and musicians who create works of praise and prayer. Guide them in their leadership and empower them to lift up new voices and works of art among the assembly. Hear us, O God. Everlasting God, as we await the dawn of the new heaven and the new earth, we give thanks for your beloved who have died in Christ. Hear us, O God. Rejoicing in hope, we lift our prayers to you, most gracious Lord, trusting that you have received them in your care. Amen. Set your hope on Christ. Thanks be to God.